Hello, and welcome to Fortune's Wheelhouse, a podcast about esoterics and the tarot. We will be embarking on a 22-episode journey looking at esoteric imagery in the major arcana of the two decks that most everybody knows best, the Rider-Waite-Smith deck and the Thoth deck. I'm Susie Chang, and with me on this journey is Mel Moline, creator of the Tabula Mundi and Rosetta Tarot decks. Hi, Mel. Hi, Susie. So, Mel, tell us a little bit about uh, how you got started in tarot and and what you're doing these days. Um, I believe that you uh, grew up with a mural of the Wheel of Fortune uh, at your breakfast table. Yeah, that's right. It was a painting on the wall, a wall-sized mural of the Wheel of Fortune from the Rider-Waite-Smith deck. And I used to sit at the kitchen table and eat cereal and stare at it (laughs) kind of freaked out by uh typhon and whatnot and that was uh how it all began yeah and and we all we had in our in our house was a giant map of africa in front of the toilet (laughs) so i'm really envious of your uh of your forward thinking parents and their uh uh, woohoo ways. So you first started creating tarot decks. Um, when was it? I think I started the Rosetta in 2008. Mm-hmm. And the accompanying book. And the book of Seshet, yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then you went on to do a second tarot deck as well. Yeah, I finished and published Rosetta in 2011, um, November 2011. And right around the exact same time that it came out, I started The Fool for the Tabula Mundi deck. And that um, came out as a black and white version in, well, it came out as a major arcana edition in 2014, a black and white 78 card edition in 2015, and the full 78 card color version in 2016. And it is absolutely spectacular. Everyone should have a copy, especially you if you're listening to this podcast. Uh, And you have an accompanying book with it too. Yeah, the book for that is called Book M. Liebermundi. The books themselves are an education in tarot, and you should get those too. Um, As for me, I've been uh, reading tarot probably about 20 years, but it's only in the last couple of years that I've kind of started being all tarot all the time, or all tarot all my free time plus. These days I have an Etsy shop where I sell Arcana cases, which are now trademarked. Those are cases for tarot decks made out of silk and brocade. And I also sell nowadays zodiacal perfumes. So you can Check out your sun sign and see, um, and smell like your sun sign. I'm wearing Sagittarius <laughs> today. Are you really? Fantastic. I also do readings in Northampton here in Western Massachusetts. We both live in Western Massachusetts uh, once a week at the In Spirit Crystal Shop. And I teach very, very casual classes once in a while. Um, and the other thing that I'm doing is a book on tarot correspondences for Llewellyn. So that'll be out um, sometime next year. Uh, so Mel, what's your website? The main blog where there's writing and happenings is www.tabulamundi.com. And mine is www.etsy.com slash shop slash tarotista. In case you're wondering about the name of our podcast, Fortune's Wheelhouse, it was a kind of a bright idea that Mel had a while back. um, And it has to do with the fact that Mel is a Sagittarius and I am a Virgo. So we took 
the name of the card for the ruler of Sagittarius, Jupiter, whose card is the Wheel of Fortune, and combined it with the Hebrew letter for the ruler of Virgo, which is Bet, meaning house. Hence, wheelhouse, fortune's wheelhouse. So there you have it. All right. And the last thing I want to say before we get into the actual cards is that our discussion of symbols is going to take us pretty far and pretty fast into Kabbalah and astrology territory. So if you suddenly feel like, ah, I'm lost, please stick around. On our website, www.patreon.com slash fortune's wheelhouse, we have a ton of explanatory content. All the basic material is free, so you can get a crash course on the Tree of Life and the Zodiac, and you'll be up and running in no time at all. Okay? So, here we go. Okay, so uh, with no further ado, we're going to jump right in on our pilot episode and have a look at The Fool. So... Unless you're driving, you should take out your Rider Waite Smith and Thoth versions of The Fool, presuming you have both, or bring them up online if you don't. And uh, while we're at it, we should probably talk about the pronunciation of Thoth, right? So how many how many versions have you heard? Mm, five or six, I think. Yeah. Thoth, Toth, Tot, Tote. Probably more. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and there isn't really any agreement on which one's right. So, um, so I think we'll just kind of go with whatever comes out, which in my case is usually Toth or Thoth. Likewise. Yeah. And, uh, and we hope that. I just can't bring myself to call it (laughs) Tote. Just can't. (laughs) It just sounds like, you know, your premium from your public radio contribution. Okay, so uh, so so that's what we're going to do, and I hope you'll bear with us if you have a, a variant pronunciation which you feel very strongly about. Okay, so the first thing we're going to do is look at um, the different titles that go with this card, and in the case of Rider Waite Smith and Thoth, they happen to be the same. They're just the fool, right? Um, but they we also have others. Oh, the Hermetic title is the Spirit of the Ether. So. So that what does that tell us? That that tells us something about it being, I guess, apart. The fool is apart from the world of the four elements. Yeah, it's kind of a reference to air in the spiritual and elemental sense. Um, you know, it's a, which is a little bit different from mm-hmm. air as the way it's used, say, in the sword suit. Sure, and spirit itself is, you know, kind of a complicated term, and you always get the feeling that they're talking about something that's set apart or different. And that's kind of a good association for the fool because uh, historically, it's been called the unnumbered card, right? So um, so the zero was actually, I think, wasn't that a Golden Dawn edition that they put the zero on it? I'm not sure. Um, I think it was part well, of that whole zero, zero equals one thing that, um, that Mathers did. But... Um, but it was called the unnumbered card because it stood apart from the rest of the deck. And in fact, some people don't even, in the continental tradition, I think they don't even put the fool at the front necessarily. They might put it at the end or right before the universe. Um, there's a couple different ways to do it. So, uh, but that's why, that's why many people call it the unnumbered card. And if you have a Marseille deck, uh, odds are dollars to donuts that there won't be a zero on it. It'll just say, you know, the fool, uh, the, the card without number. 
It's also, it was used historically, um, it had another name called the excuse, because historically you could play it, like in the game of tarot, you could play it if you didn't want to take your turn. Like you have to play, but if you needed to skip your turn for some like strategic points reason, you could play the excuse. And um, so it had a certain tactical value to it. Okay. Zero as the exemption. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. The waiver. I am not. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So um, I think a fool is having like two different senses, like either knowing nothing or being mad and they're, you know, slightly different. So, so when I look at the fool card, it's interesting to me to consider whether we're talking about like a blank slate or someone who has, you know, sees the world in a kind of gone off the rails, completely different scrambled eggs for brains kind of way. Yeah, I'm not a fan of the latter mm -hmm. interpretation. I tend to think of it more, not so much as the know nothing, but maybe all potential, mm -hmm. which cancels everything out and <laughs> becomes nothing. Yeah, yeah. I think that's, that's, definitely echoed in the Kabbalistic tradition, but we'll we'll talk more about that. Whereas the sort of mad side of the fool, I think, is kind of, you can see reflections of that in the Dionysus references and the uh, Green Man, but we'll, we'll get into that further. So the very first thing we should talk about is astrologically, what is the fool? Um, oh, elementally, I should say, I guess. Elemental air, yeah. Elemental air, right. Um, Associated ether. ether, right, right. As 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 most of you listening to the podcast probably know, um, the um, the major arcana are split up into groups of uh, category wise into groups of three, seven, and twelve. So three elements, seven planets, twelve signs, adding up to twenty two. And you're like, three elements? Why three? Aren't there four? And of course, that's because we conflate Saturn and Earth in the world so that uh, we get that number, that all-important number, 22. So um, so the fool is our first element. That's air. And what, what references to air do we see in these two cards? The first thing that jumps out would be the fact that the fool in the rider weight deck is about to step off <laughs> into thin air. <laughs> into thin air. And then in the Thoth deck, the fool is kind of standing on air. His feet are not That's touching true. the ground. Um, he's got n no, only air beneath mm -hmm. him. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. He's neither, he's neither, he, he seems to be in a zero gravity environment. Mm. You know, he, he's, uh, He's just floating or hanging there without being And it's interesting that the fool also, you know, I always think of he's about to do mm. something. He's not doing. He's mm -hmm. about to do. Mm -hmm. um, and they both kind of have that sense of inherent potential that they're just the moment before doing. Right. Okay. And another sort of explicit symbol, I think, that has to do with air and the fool is his feather in the Rider-Waite-Smith version. Um, feather is a common, short, uh, common graphic shorthand for air. And in 
the Rider Waite Smith deck specifically, there's a recurring motif of the red feather, um, which you see in the Fool, and you see you see it also, I believe, in the Sun card, where there's sort of a also an upright red plume. Um, which there's yeah. uh, also a connection with the justice or adjustment oh. ma'at. Yeah, um, right, right. So the idea that you weigh your soul against a feather, right? And um, she often mm-hmm. had the feather headdress. Oh, okay, right. Then there's the whole Crowley's connection between, you know, the adjustment being the fool's girlfriend and counterpart. Ah, oh, really? Yeah, wow, the Aleph cool. Lamed. Oh, Aleph Lamed, Lamed, right, right. God and not God. There's a whole long yes. interplay between those two cards. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I kind of think it's neat that there's a feather there to um, that's cool yeah i hadn't bring even that realized connection that. in okay um there's also a red feather in the rider wade smith um death card only it's drooping it's sort of like unlike this one which is sort of stretching towards the sun and born aloft the other one is sort of succumbing to the will of gravity okay so um we also have i think in the thoth card is that a butterfly there i think it is uh around the loop yeah there. there's a butterfly and right above it there's a wing i don't know if you can see that uh, yeah. uh mm-hmm. which i've seen that it's referenced as the wing of mount or not sure the Egyptian pronunciation, mm-hmm. um, which is the vulture goddess that was impregnated by air. Right, right, Kind right. of another virgin goddess. Right, and that's why we love the Thoth. It's just like the, the symbolism is just like right up there on top, um, rarely hidden. Oh, uh, you know, and the uh, this kind of is a good transition because the fool stepping off into air... Uh, some people say that he's actually stepping into Da'at, uh, the abyss in the Tree of Life, uh, because, as we're about to talk about, the Fool is the first path at the top of the tree, right? I kind of see it as he's stepping off from Kether all the way down to Malkuth, because you can see mm. in both cards there's references to Kether at the top of the card and Malkuth at the bottom of the card. You see in the Rider Waite deck the white sun of Kether up there on the uh, right-hand corner and down below in the opposite corner, you see those mountains. Um, mm-hmm. They're the, mm-hmm. they're gray, which kind of makes you think more of Hawkmah, but mm-hmm. I also think of them as Earth, a symbol of Earth and and Malkuth. So. Mm-hmm. And then over on the... Um, Thoth card, you've got the the cone of light there on on the fool's head, right? Um, which is supposed to be a specific reference. Rainbow to halo, kind of around his head, that's really faint and pale. But I think those are both Kether mm-hmm. references. And then down below, you have the crocodile um, with. It looks to me like there's a rose. Maybe his eye is a rose, or there's a rose mm-hmm. there with the crocodile, and I. Th- to me, those are both Malkuth references. The, You're the right. The crocodile, Sebek or Sobek, and the mm-hmm. rose always makes me think of, you know, the princess of discs, the earth of right. earth, the rose, the of, rose the of the palace of, the of earth, mm-hmm. you know. Um, mm-hmm. So it's interesting to me that both cards have Kether at the top of the card and Malkuth at the bottom of the card, and thus kind of like the whole tree in, encompassed in Mm-hmm. one card. And I think um we have in both cases uh we have the white 
brilliance of Keter at the top. Um, the white sun that almost looks like a child's depiction of the sun in the Rider Waite Smith pool. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because we see suns throughout both decks, but sometimes it's a reference to Keter and sometimes it's a reference to Tiferet. So it's. Yeah, you can see in the, mm-hmm. uh, Thoth card, he's got the sun more in the Tifereth mm-hmm. position. That's the solar codpiece. Oh, yes, there. the solar codpiece. <laughs> nice. Right. Okay. And um, let's see. Oh, yeah. And so. Typical Crowley with the solar codpiece. <laughs> I was looking through snuff in the other day and. I actually, this was just on Thursday. I picked it up because I, I didn't own a copy. I picked it up at the crystal shop where I work and I was talking to the cashier there and I was like, literally the word phallic is on every page in this book. <laughs> <laughs> Why That's am I not really... surprised? <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, never an opportunity lost. <laughs> um, let's see. Oh, I, I saw a really wacko reference here to the Hebrew letter associated with the fool, which is Aleph. In the Western Mysteries, David Hulse's book, he says that the dog is supposed to be the shape of Aleph. It's a bit is of a God to be found in a dog. <laughs> And you know, I can I can sort of see it if I squint a little, and you know, or take off my glasses. He also well, he's uh, white. He's, he's, he's the white, white of Kether, so mm-hmm. there's that. Mm-hmm. There's also the way he's holding his forepaws is supposed to be reminiscent of Bet, which you know, I guess so. Other cabalistic references. Oh, what about the three loops? What do you want to say about that? The you know the three veils ain ain sof and ain sofor mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. that the fool technically passes through on his way before even reaching Kether right prior to I guess prior to that first point of brilliance mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there's three veils of nothing three veils of like <laughs> different different, different qualities of, of nothingness nothing, yes. <laughs> just to get us completely ready for um more nothing, nothing. the because... nothing that knows itself and the nothing that expands <laughs> into infinite nothing or, or something like that <laughs> something like that um it's probably unknowable anyway <laughs> when i read the, all of this you know esoteric material a lot of the time it's Ineffable. like you can't possibly know it anyway so don't feel bad if you don't <laughs> understand <laughs> okay so uh so so there, that's a reference to the three veils, as you were saying. I like the way that they make like a portal around him too. Oh yes, that almost mm-hmm. like he's, it's like he's passing. His head is through the the central one. You see, almost as if he's about to pass through. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that same about to. He's mm-hmm. about to pass through these three veils. He's just beginning. Or mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But he's not quite there yet. Pre beginning. Hmm. Now, on the um, Rider-Waite-Smith, we also have a reference, probably, maybe, hypothetically, to Kabbalah in the um, the ten sort of splashes of color on the on the fool's garment, uh, those ten round sort of, um, I guess they look like eight-spoked wheels, kind of. And there are ten of them, and, you know, that could well be a reference to the ten sephirot on the Tree of Life. If you were counting and yeah, caring. the eight-spoked wheel also makes me just think of a compass. You know, the, mm-hmm, the direction, exactly. the quarters, and the cross quarters, the the eight directions, and mm-hmm. I've the also seen the, that the called year. the Star of the Messiah. Which, oh, really? Knowing how 
Waits Christian mysticism background. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't surprise me if that was a reference. I've also, you know, some people think of the eight spokes. Um, isn't th- they use that in chaos magic as well? Um, and it's on the eight of wands and the thought deck. Um, sort of the the eightfold or the eight circuit model of consciousness. Um, that's a that could be a reference to that. But uh, yeah, there's a lot of references. I mean, if you took the the quartered circle, mm-hmm. the, the, you know, mm-hmm. and then put, you turn it the other way, one way it's mm-hmm. a symbol of earth, the other way it's a symbol of, in, astro- in astrology, it's the uh, part of fortune. Oh, that's right. That's right. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's the Nox and the Lux symbol, depending <laughs> on which way you turn it. So combined, right. it's all of that. Although I'm not sure if that's what weight was using it in well, that that's, way. That's okay though, right? I mean, but it's all there. It's all there. I mean, I think my my point of view is that you know, the symbols belong to everybody. It doesn't matter whether the creator of the deck specifically assigned this meaning to this symbol because we're the ones reading it whether or not he or she knew it. It, you know, he, they were tapping into, you know, centuries of tradition, millennia of tradition that build up around these signs, and they are ours to interpret. It's the great gift of tarot. So um, I always feel like it's limiting and a little bogus when people say, well, that's not what they meant, you know, because this is tarot. <laughs> this is The whole point is to interpret. And if you're not interpreting, then why are you reading tarot at all? So um, anyway, just my, my, my two to 25 cents there. Oh, um, another symbol of air in here. It's a little subtle, but the fool is holding in his hand the white rose yeah. there, which you might not think of that as a symbol of air, but just something about the way he's holding it, it's almost like he had just sniffed it. And <laughs> you know, it's that, yes. that kind yes. of... And so the, the sniff of the ingoing breath um, mm-hmm. is one of the meanings of the Hebrew letter Aleph. You know, mm-hmm. it's the, the, in, intake. the intake the intake prior to the the next card that comes out, which is the, the word. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I have seen it said that um, in terms of the way the Kabbalah assigns uh, the various letters to the parts of the body, that Aleph corresponds with the chest, you know, the way that the magician corresponds with the right eye and the uh, priestess with the... Um, right ear, I think. Uh, there's probably different ways that they do it, but that would make sense with the, you know, the lungs and the intake of air. And then there's the rose as the symbol. You know, the rose is actually in both cards, and it's a symbol of, you know, unfolding consciousness, mm-hmm. which is something that the fools, you know, it's the beginning of that journey that ends mm-hmm. at the universe. And Aleph, of course, um, is the first of the Hebrew letters, uh, and it is one of the mother letters, the other ones being Mem and Shin. Um, all the mother letters are associated with elements, so Aleph goes with air, Mem goes with water, Shin goes with fire. And it, and it, it is basically defined, it's associated with ox, right? Because um, the pictograph is developed from ox. Now I've heard, I was just reading something last night that says that these meanings that we commonly use for Hebrew letters are in a sense fairly shallow because they were basically like, you know, A is for apple, B is for bear, and like thinking that the apple is somehow meaningful with the letter A. But um, nevertheless, why shouldn't we use them? Right? Right. Right. Um, 
I thought it was amusing to see Crowley's comment on Aleph as ox. He said the letter is the shape of a plowshare, and thus it is a phallic symbol. <laughs> you might have known that was coming. Yes, exactly. When you are a hammer, everything looks like a nail. <laughs> and Thanks, I Crowley. also thought of... Um, the association with Ox and, you know, the King Nebuchadnezzar, mm-hmm. who was on, he was the mad king on his hands and knees eating grass like an ox. So maybe that's a little bit of the, the madness the, the, of the fool mm-hmm. that some mm-hmm. cards like to show. Mm-hmm. There is another sort of numerical Kabbalistic reference uh, in the 14 rays. Uh, you know, I didn't actually count them, so I'm just going to make sure. 10, 11, 12, 13. Yeah, indeed, there are 14 rays on the on the sun in the Fool, which I have seen explained as, okay, one for Keter, two for uh, Chokmah, and 11 for the path, because, right, because we have paths one through 10, and then we start counting I'm sorry, we have the Sephirot 1 through 10, and then we start counting paths 11 through 32. I also wonder if it could have anything to do with the 11 Sephiroth and the three veils. Oh, yeah. Why not? Why not? Why not? I wonder if we should count the rays on the codpiece as well. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, we definitely should do that. Get out your magnifying glass. Okay, so that's, uh, this is, this sucks being in your 40s. Okay, one, two, three, four. Okay, with three in between each of them. So it's going to be 16. Hmm. Well, there goes that. Do we care about 16? Well, it's double eight. So, uh, so that gives us, you know, the north, northwest, and the south, south, southeast, and more compass. All of that stuff. More compass. So I really didn't want to get that up close and personal with the fool's (laughs) cod piece. Thanks a lot. Oh, there's one astrological and Kabbalah thing we didn't go through, which is the, um, which is the fool's sack of coins, right? Uh, he's got, there's all sorts of, uh, and I don't think we mentioned his path either. Oh, yeah. The exact path that leads from Kether to To Chokmah, however you want to. Yeah, I think it's Kether and it's Chokmah. So I always feel like I'm clearing my throat when I say (laughs) Chokmah. Yeah, well, um, yes, I do too. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's the path, um, and it goes from the top of the tree, the crown of Keter, off to what appears from our point of view to be the right looking at the tree, uh, to Chokmah. Yeah, it's interesting that uh, both, well, Crowley's card is facing dead on, but mm-hmm. um, lots of times in The Fool you see him facing in the other direction, which, you know, yes. if you're looking at the tree, you're like, wait a minute, that's the wrong direction. But I think it's meant to be you know, the Adam Cadman view where Mm. you step into the perspective Mm -hmm. of the fool and then you are the tree and that's then on your There you go. Window, not mirror, Mm -hmm. as they say. Yep. Yep. So so if you imagine yourself into the position of the fool, you can imagine yourself stepping off to the right into Chokmah. Or the left. Or the left, as the The case may be. So yeah, your left. Right. 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 Okay. So... Yeah. Okay. Um, Left, right. <laughs> oh, let's talk about color real quick. Um, so, so we see what's with this bright yellow color on both of these cards. Well, the the Golden Dawn had the color scales, which is a fourfold scale of color, one for each of the four worlds, and the primary color of every path is the first one in the King scale, mm-hmm. which in this case 
for the fool is not just yellow, but it's called bright pale yellow. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's it's interesting to me that you know the the next card, the magus, mm-hmm. its color in the king scale is yellow, just yellow, just plain Where, yellow. Yeah, right. whereas this is bright pale yellow. So it makes me think, you know, those two. These two cards are—they're very much intertwined. They're almost like two aspects of the same mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. In this case, with the fool's proximity to Kether being mm-hmm. slightly greater, so there's, there's a little luminescence, some white coming yeah. through that yellow, making the the bright pale mm-hmm. yellow. And when we talk about the scales, so you know, we talk about king, queen, prince, and princess scale, but. Isn't that also the same as saying, you know, the four worlds, you can say the color in Atsilut, uh, Bria, yes. Yetzirah, and Asiya. So so one thing that we'll see is that when we look at the paths, they are generally, uh, when you see a representation of the Tree of Life, the paths are generally colored in Atsilut. The king's um, scale. In the king's right, scale. And the Sephiroth are mm-hmm. generally colored in the, in queen the Bria. scale. That's mm-hmm. the diagram Minitum Mundum. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, so those two systems of color are kind of working in tandem together. And I assume the, it's sort of like a balance of male and female. Yeah, the rationale is that the <laughs> Sephiroth receive the influence of the paths, which are more of a, like, it's like a force form. Sure. Thing going exactly. On. Right. So hence the paths are assigned this quote unquote masculine quality, whereas the sephirot, the unknowable sephirot are assigned this quote-unquote feminine receptive quality, which is, which leads to various other esoteric implications down the line when you, when you figure out like color is tied to sound, color is, you know, planets are assigned both to sephirot and to paths. So there's these sort of confusing ramifications, but that's the system underlying it. Okay. Um, so we've also mm-hmm. got the other colors, which um, the mm-hmm. queen scale is sky blue. The You are doing this from memory, aren't you? You're scary. <laughs> well, I, I kind of have painted them all twice now, and I just started my third third round because I'm painting a third deck, <laughs> and I've just finished the Fool, the Magus, and starting the uh, wow. Priestess, so they're very fresh. Okay, so um, Queen is Sky Blue. I'm checking you on my little list uh, Sky Blue and Emerald Green for mm-hmm. the Prince, and then the Princess has that same emerald with some flecks of uh, gold Flecks in of it. gold, exactly, right. Right. So, and which, um, do we, do we get to see that illustrated on the cards at all, or do they just pretty much stick with the, with the king scale, bright pale you know, yellow? The Rider Waite deck doesn't necessarily follow the color scales so much. Um, I don't know if that's a limitation in the available mm-hmm. printing technology at the time. So they did things differently. The, the, you know, the Thoth deck generally adheres to the, Golden Dawn color scales very much so where, you know, the green's very pre- prevalent. The golds and the greens are, are very much in evidence on Crowley's card. Let's see. All right. So moving on from color, um, numeric references. Uh, well, it's a zero. I mean, I mean, you could, you could read all kinds of zeros into these forms. I mean, even the three loops, <laughs> the, the three veils are zeros. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. In a sense that they always kind of look like that around the tree of life. You see that. All right. So, uh, let's see. We should probably see if there's any other symbols that we haven't specifically talked oh, about. Sure. There's, oh, there's probably tons, lots in there. Tons and tons and tons. So you mentioned the, you mentioned the vulture of uh, moot moot we've sure got the caduceus um on the oh, central yeah. circular yes. uh 
veil there. So what's going on with that? Is that like a preview of the Magus? I believe so. Those two cards are so very intertwined that they share a lot of um, esoteric meaning and symbolism. And mm-hmm. um, I think that's an evidence of that. You know, there's a, the reference, the winged sun there, the Hadit and mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. The, the serpents on the wand. So it's mm-hmm. definitely a preview of the next card. Oh, and there's also, I, I think I deliberately avoided this, but right below between his legs, there is, um, that is a Tree of Life reference there. The the rose, the, there's sort of a rose and then there's two flowers coming off of it. Yeah, that's a real uh, strange one. You know, it, mm-hmm. it, I, I w- have often looked at it and thought of the three supernals, you mm-hmm. know, Kether, Bina. And, and Bina uh, have being number three, and uh, there are three flowers there. And then I think Crowley himself referred to it as a threefold benediction um, <laughs> that I think was referring to the final hay of the Tetragrammaton, really? where the first three worlds or three letters or three elements are then fully realized in the the fourth one in Mm -hmm. the element of earth so it's kind of maybe an alchemical thing too because underneath Mm. it there you see those intertwined figures yeah Yeah. that look like squiggles but they're supposed to be embracing infants Mm -hmm. um which makes me think of or throttling the, each other. <laughs> both the sun card and the, mm-hmm. the twins. Uh, uh, Horus is the, the two twins, the Rahorkut and mm-hmm. Horpakrat, the solar twins. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's what he's getting at there. Somehow that between the interplay of those three... I don't know if they're roses or lilies or some of each, but looks it like almost roses looks to like me. the one at top is a fully open rose and maybe some other stages beneath mm-hmm. the, the, that interplay of the three supernals is what gives birth to the solar, uh, the solar mm-hmm. chorus. Um, and then you have, uh, then you have the tiger and the crocodile. We talked about the crocodile is Sebek or Sobek. Um, and what is, what is his, um, do you think he's sort of fulfilling the same function as the dog does in the Rider Wade Smith, a sort of, you know, warning or, or, I threat? see the tiger and the dog as being, um, mm-hmm. correlated. Mm-hmm. And I guess if you had to pick a correlation between the, uh, crocodile and with something in Wade's card, I would say the mountains below, mm. but, um, Mm. That's just me. I mean, that's right. Because you correlate the crocodile with Earth. It's on your yeah. Ace of Discs cards. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can totally see that. Right. Um, let's see. I've and there's also- a little moon there too, above mm-hmm. the crocodile's head. You can see that. Uh, yes, yes, there tiny is tiny little crescent. You are right. And so again, the 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 moon could be Yisod and the yeah, and the crocodile. The sun, we've got the codpiece sun and the, the yeah. Moon, so we've got the you know, and in between them are the embracing infants and then the supernals. Mm-hmm. I guess if that's it's what, like a miniature if tree that's of life. What that is, and as you said, the rose in the crocodile's eyes is as mm. Malkut. Mm-hmm. Right. I also have a note on my on my page here, and I have no idea what I wrote that down for because I did this really late last night, <laughs> and, uh, and I wasn't thinking straight. But I have a I have a Saturn glyph noted next to the crocodile, and I assume that 
you know, again, that's also Earth could go universe. with Earth, yeah. Malkut mm-hmm. universe. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't, there may be some kind of Saturnine uh, association with the crocodile that goes with that. Um, mm-hmm. When we were talking about the um, crocodile, we didn't mention the crocodile's association with Harpocrates. Oh, uh, yes. The silent right. twin of the solar twins, the, the counterpart of that fool. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Is he, a, a, is he like a, um, an analog for Harpocrates? Is he, you know, when you see the crocodile? Yeah, there's several references. Of- uh, Harpocrates was said to have a crocodile that, that followed him, um, kind of like a devouring beast. And I I still maintain that it refers to Malkuth because, you know, life is hard. Incarnation is a devouring beast, right? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. But there's other portrayals of the child, Horus, who's also Harpocrates, you know, Horpocrat, mm-hmm. where he's standing on the back of two crocodiles. Mm. And, mm. and he's got actually snakes. He's holding a snake in each hand, and he's got his foot planted on the head of two crocodiles, and he's, like, mastering these right. these forces or these beasts. Right, right. And when we talk about Horpocrat, or Harpocrates, don't aren't we also that's where we get the sign of silence, yes. right? So which of course goes with your association of the crocodile with Malkut, with discs, with um with uh yep. the final riddle of the yep. Sphinx. To be silent. Right? To be silent. To be silent and mm-hmm. to go. So it's that <laughs> silence before the breath comes out and you speak in the next card with the logos or the word. Mm-hmm. And it's that silence that you have to maintain in order to move forward. If mm-hmm. you're just talking, you're not doing. <laughs> okay. And, uh, oh, and we have in the upper left corner, crystal. I assume that's mm-hmm. another sort of uh, crystallization of matter kind of reference. Yeah, I, I've read that that's actually the bottom of the cup. You can see there's a cup there. Yes. And it's pouring out yes. water. And in his other hand, there's a flaming, Fire. flaming pine cone is what it's supposed to be. Yes. So he's alchemically mixing fire and water, which, of course, if you can imagine what might happen when you do that, you get, <laughs> you get air, a right. great deal of steam. Right. And I guess that's a reference to the whole idea that fire and water give give rise to error is the offspring mm. of air, which from a modern perspective is kind of not the most logical thing, but from an elemental, spiritual, mystical perspective makes some sense. Um, the one thing we haven't talked about in this card is the sort of green man, uh, pan Dionysus references, which mm-hmm. you see starting with the grapes and the uh, the, the three loops are actually a grapevine, I think. They're supposed to be coming out yeah, of that grape. there's a big, grape. big cluster of grapes there and above mm-hmm. the uh, the bag of coins there. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And the horns. He's got horns. Yeah, he's got the horns of Bacchus or... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, I, I think I've always kind of been amused by the um, the contrast between these two cards. You know, the, the Fool is said to be androgynous, <laughs> and um, there is a there's a way of portraying Bacchus as bisexual or double-natured, which again brings in the, the solar twins in a sense. Mm-hmm. But the one way of portraying that is to kind of have an, a young, effeminate 
male, and mm-hmm. you kind of see that in in Waits card with the you know tra la la in his Renaissance yeah. garb, right? Um, right. Whereas the other fool is um, you know very much more masculine with his mm-hmm. uh, solar codpiece and his, yeah. Um, green man muscular torso there exactly and his sort of implied fertility and yeah and he's Mm -hmm. much more pan um kind of bringing out the fact that the fool and the devil are two cards that are associated with each Mm -hmm. other because they both have that uh they call pan the all begetting the Mm -hmm. all devourer Mm -hmm. which kind of makes me think the all begetting makes me think of the energy of the fool Mm -hmm. um there is that dove in the corner and when there's a dove i never know quite whether to um you know interpret that as grace divine grace or the feminine principle or a spirit um what do you think it is yeah, I mean, a lot of times that's the descent of spirit into mm-hmm. matter, which mm-hmm. is again what we're seeing in, from all the way from you know we're, this path is from Kether to, uh, yes. to Hachma, mm-hmm. but it go, continues on all the way down the tree. So, right, I in think fact, it's another whole trope of the serpent winding up the tree and the dove coming down. Yeah, the tree. Yeah, right. I think it's mm-hmm. a lot about the descent of spirit into matter. Okay. And, you know, this path too, I was also thinking about, you know, Kether as being the the null, Mm -hmm. the the zero or the pre-zero, the null situation, whereas the fool is kind of like Kether as that first point, and then it's on its way to Hachma, which Mm -hmm. I think of as the line. So you have the nothing... The, the point arises and then you have the line and it's kind of like a mm-hmm. natural progression of form eventually. <laughs> and then be now what you have the square yeah. or the yeah. plane. Uh-huh. Yeah, the triangle, right. I guess. The, yeah. Yeah. The yeah third, that's what I like to call point. lights, camera, action. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. Um, anything else that we saw that we didn't miss? Shall we go on to uh, associations that we don't see? Oh, you know what I did, which which is kind of cool. So some of the natural correspondences real quick that go with air are the aspen, the peppermint, um, uh, things that tend to have a sharp, uh, airy quality to them. So uh, the esoteric... The esoteric association for air in perfume is galbanum. So I actually brought my galbanum downstairs for us to smell if you want to. Sniff them. Have you have you ever smelled galbanum? Should I warn you? I don't remember. I think I have, but it's, I've forgotten. Well, it used to be, I mean, I think it was considered a perfume ingredient in ancient times and it's still used today, but it's it's quite aggressive and I've used galbanum in my air perfumes, but I put like half a drop because it's um, it's described as grassy, oily, but you can see it's a clear liquid, but have a smell. Nice. What do you think? You I don't like mind it? it. I like it. You yeah. don't mind it. Okay. So, cause it has a sort of a, it has a sort of a bitterness um, that's, that's, it's considered a base note as opposed to a heart note or a top note because I it lingers. I like those. Yeah. Yeah. You're very bassy. <laughs> So, uh, so yeah, that's galbanum. And when I use it, I just use a little bit because it's so persistent and it, its bitterness tends to drown out other subtler notes. But, um, but anyway, so that's what, what it is. And, and, uh, not that many people know about it today, but apparently it was a pretty well known, um, 
fragrance component once upon a time because you see it in all of the magical correspondences to either air or air signs, uh, Libra, Aquarius, Gemini. So, um, and the other thing that uh, that we talked about including is the note, the musical note, which happens to be an E natural. Now, I'm going to tell you really, I don't know if you know how the color scales and the, the musical scales work. Do you, do you know how that? Why don't you tell us? <laughs> okay, so uh, let me see if I can do this right. So as I, the way I've seen it represented, uh, you have uh, seven colors in the rainbow, basically. You have seven notes in the scale, basically. And you can... Um, seven classical planets. As seven well. classical planets, exactly. And then, so what you can do is you can say, okay, the the color red at the beginning of the rainbow corresponds with the note C. And which planet corresponds to red? Well, here's the problem, because we were talking about two different systems of attribution. We have... Um, planets that are associated with Sephirot in their Briatic colors, queen scale. And we have planets that are associated with paths in their Atsilutic uh, king scale color. So, so when you say, you know, red, we could be talking about, well, in, in the case of red, it doesn't matter because uh, both Mars is red, both in the Path of the Tower, the Athelitic King Scale, and as the Sephira Gevora mm-hmm. in Mars. the Briatic Scale. Yes, I got through it. Good. <laughs> okay, so, um, however, however, uh, as you go through the colors for the other planets, it's not so neat. They're not the same. So, um, so, for example, when we get to the magician, we'll be dealing with yellow in the Atsilutic scale, but Mercury is uh, is actually orange in the Sephirotic scale. So, um, anyway, uh, regardless, the note for for the fool is E natural because C D E red, orange, yellow, and the fool is associated with yellow. And um, although you would probably prefer that I have a pitch pipe or something, I can actually tell you what E natural sounds like because I have absolute pitch. So this is what E natural sounds like, <laughs> roughly, more or less. Uh, the problem with absolute pitch is that it does tend to degrade a little as you get older, like everything else. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, so that's, that's done with. <laughs> Okay. Um, okay. Well, I think we've covered it pretty well. Good? Good. Good. Okay. So thanks for bearing with us through our uh, extended discussion of the fool. And be sure to tune in next time for the Magus or Magician. <laughs>